Chapter 46 One day, Ganapati, when I was visiting the home of one of our younger party leaders, never mind his name, I found myself the object of the curiosity and admiration of his little son, aged, oh, I don't know, maybe seven. He was sitting at my feet, chin cupped in his hands, and at one stage, when his parents were both out of the room, he said to me, Dadaji, won't you tell me a story? No one had asked me to do that before, Ganapati. One of the hazards of the peripatetic procreation that I had practiced was the loss of any claims to grandfatherhood, and I was touched by the request. Certainly, I said, and embarked upon a story. It was a tale from our ancient annals, the Panchatantra or the Hitopadesha, I'm no longer sure which. And I was telling it rather well, spinning the yarn along with the fluency worthy of a real grandfather, when the boy cut in to ask, But Dadaji, what happened in the end? What happened in the end? The question drew me short. The end was not a concept that applied particularly to that story, which, as it happens, involved one of the characters embarking on another story in which one of the characters tells another story and, you know, the genre of Ganapati. But even more important, the end was an idea that I suddenly realized meant nothing to me. I did not begin the story in order to end it. The essence of the tale lay in its telling. What happened next, I could answer, but what happened in the end, I could not even understand. For what Ganapati was the end? I know where our modern Indians have acquired the term. It is a contemporary conceit that life and art must be defined by conclusions, consummations devoutly to be wished and strived for. But the end isn't true even in the tawdry fictions that refined at the face. You want one of those Hollywood films that conclude with the hero and heroine in a passionate clutch as you watch the titles on the screen announce the end and you know perfectly well even before you have left the hall that it is not the end at all. There are going to be more cliches, and a wedding, and more clinches, and tips, and arguments, and quarrels, and perhaps saucers flying against the wall. There will be the banalities of breakfast, and laundry, and house cleaning, the thoughts of which never cross the starry-eyed heroine's mind. There will be babies to bear, and burp, and birch, with fluss, and flatulence, and phlebitis to follow. There are a thousand mundanities and trivialities that are thought to be conceived by the greater lie they lived happily ever after. Now, Ganapati, the story does not end when the screenwriter pretends it does. It does not even end when the great symbol of finality, death, comes along. For when the protagonist dies, the story continues. His widow suffers bitterly, or celebrates madly, or throws herself on the spire, or knits herself into extinction. His son turns to drugs, or becomes a man, or seeks revenge, or carries on as before, and the world goes on. And who knows, perhaps our hero goes on too, in some other world, finer than the one that Hollywood created for him. There is, in short, Ganapati, no end to the story of life. There are merely pauses. The end is the arbitrary invention of the teller. But there can be no finality about his choice. Today's end is, after all, tomorrow's beginning. I was struggling inarticulately with these thoughts when the boy's mother returned to drag him off to bed. Saved by the bed. I shall tell you tomorrow, I promised the impatient child. But of course, I never did. And I fear the boy thought me a very poor storyteller indeed. Or perhaps he grew to understand. 
Perhaps, Ganapati. He came to manhood with the instinctive Indian sense that nothing begins and nothing ends. That we are all living in the eternal present, in which what was and what will be is contained in what is. Or, to put it in a more contemporary idiom, that life is a series of sequels to history. All our books and stories and television shows would end not with the words, the end, but it would be more accurate if it was to be continued. To be continued, but not necessarily here. Ah, Ganapati, I see I didn't disappoint you once more. The old man going off the point again, I see you think. How tiresome he can be when he gets philosophical. Do you know what the word philosophical means, Ganapati? It comes from the Greek word philien, to love, and sophia, wisdom. A philosopher is a lover of wisdom, Ganapati, not of knowledge, which, for all its great uses, ultimately suffers from the crippling effects of ephemerality. All knowledge is transient, linked to the world around it and subject to change as the world changes. Whereas wisdom, true wisdom, is eternal, immutable. To be philosophical, one must love wisdom for its own sake, accept its permanent validity, and yet its perpetual irrelevance. It is the fate of the wise to understand the process of history and never yet to shape it. I do not pretend to such wisdom, Ganapati. I am no philosopher. I am a chronicler and a participant in the events I describe. But I cannot afford equal weight to my two functions. In life, one must forever choose between being one who tells stories and one about whom stories are told. My choice, you know, and it was made for me. My choice, you know, and it was made for me. Does the river ask why it flows to the sea? I share with you a fragment of experience, embellished, no doubt, a figment of existence, but it is true. It moves me, I do not control it. When the Pantheon marches, can the police patrol it? It is a shard of ancient poetry, awarded to a spade as if by lottery, but it is true. The song I sing is neither verse nor prose. Can the gardener ask why he is pricked by the rose? What I tell you is a slender filament, a rubbing from a colossal monument, but it is true. I claim no beginning, nor any end. Does a tree in the wind know why it must bend? The picture I show you has color and cast, a snip from a canvas impossibly vast, but it is true. I am not potter, nor sculptor, nor painter, my son. Do the victor or loser know why the race must be won? I am not even kiln, not hand, no, not brush. My tale is recalled, my work plucked from the crush, but it is true. It is my truth, Ganapati, just as the crusade to drive out the British reflected Gangaji's truth, and the fight to be rid of both the British and the Hindu was Karna's truth. Which philosopher would dare to establish a hierarchy among such verities? Question, Ganapati. Is it permissible to modify truth with a possessive pronoun? Questions two and three. At what point in the recollection of the truth does wisdom cease to transcend knowledge? How much may one select, interpret, and arrange the facts of the living past before truth is jeopardized by inaccuracy? I see once again the furrow of incomprehension on your brow, Ganapati, wrinkled there by the frown of impatience. 
The old man is being willfully obscure. Your forehead crumbles. Do not seek to answer these questions, my friend. I shall not pose them again. Instead, Ganapati, we shall return to the story.